the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Russia backs out of a U.N. broker deal to allow grain shipments out of Ukrainian ports. I think they never had the intention to be fully committed to this deal. Florida Medical Board members approve banning puberty blockers. You don't have the right to impose that ideology on the rest of the family. And Elon Musk cleans house at Twitter. One of the first things that, that Elon Musk actually did was fire the chief executive officer. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, October 31st. I'm Mike Scott. On Saturday, Russia announced it would stop working with the U.N. in order to allow grain shipments out of Ukraine. The deal, up until this point has seen more than 9 million tons of grain exported from Ukraine and has helped reduce an international food crisis. Nick Robertson is CNN's foreign diplomatic correspondent and says that Ukraine's grain primarily ships to third world countries. Russia says it's withdrawing from this deal for an indefinite period. It agreed the deal brokered by the UN, um, sort of in parallel with a similar deal with Ukraine, back at the end of July. Back then it was anticipated that this would allow all the grain that was backing up in Ukrainian ports to get to all those uh, hard-hit third-world countries in desperate need of food supplies, anticipated that maybe 20 million tons of grain could be shifted. In recent weeks, Ukrainian officials have been saying that the Russians have been dragging their feet. The Russians have been saying that they're not sure that they would actually continue with this grain deal. So far, some uh, 405 ships have been involved in the deal, moving 9.1 million tons, which is less than half of what was originally anticipated. Robertson explains why Russia is pulling out of the deal. But what precipitated this showdown by Russia today in Sevastopol, in Crimea, occupied by Russia, um, there were explosions uh, in the port area there today. Russia is saying those explosions were aboard some of its ships and is blaming um, Ukraine for what it calls a terrorist attack and saying that the, the attack was actually led by British specialists. Now, Ukraine is saying that this is another fiction that's been created by Russia, much along the lines of uh, the previous fictions it says it's created. Robertson says that the move from Russia is an obvious setback. This puts the UN, uh, if you will, in a difficult position. The UN's asking Russia not to act in haste. But it does seem now that that deal is off. And there are apparently about 175 ships under contractual obligation waiting to come in and take out grain that is still in the ports. This is now a big and ongoing problem and a setback to the UN's efforts at sort of brokering some kind of lines of peace here. 
Retired Air Force Colonel Cedric Layton says that, in his opinion, Russia never had the intention of keeping that U.N. brokered deal. I think they never had the intention to be fully committed to this deal. Uh, you know, when you look at the way in which the Russians have actually uh, used their military to go after civilian targets, uh, the fact that they're going after the energy infrastructure, the power grid, uh, and other elements of the energy infrastructure in Ukraine, and even from the beginning of this war, uh, the fact that they have gone after the Ukrainian food supply system, and the fact that uh, Ukraine, major exporter order of grains is extremely vulnerable on this point. The Russians know that vulnerability and they're going to push every single button that they can in order to achieve their goals. And in this case, they know that if they cut off grain supplies uh, to the rest of the world, that that will uh, cause severe shortages. And of course, that's a major Ukrainian vulnerability in this effort. Layton goes on to say that it's his belief that the U.N. will try and restart the deal with Turkey's help in order to avoid famine in some third world countries. So the U.N. is going to try to, I think, get this green deal started again. They've got a real uphill battle in this case for Drika. And I think what, uh, you know, they, they, of course, had the good offices of Turkey uh, at the beginning of this, working through all of these deals with the uh, Turkish president, the Turkish foreign minister. Uh, so I think the Turks will probably be engaged once again trying to salvage this deal. Uh, it's critical, of course, uh, you know, for the third world because a lot of countries in Africa uh, get supplied by Ukrainian grain. Uh, so uh, it's a, a key element here that uh, could you know, be used to prevent famine. But if it fails, uh, we're going to see some major food shortages in all of these areas. Layton goes on to explain how the upcoming winter will most likely decide the outcome of the war in Ukraine. I hate to be that stark in my assessment, uh, Frederica, but uh, this is a critical component, and it is very important for the West to, to sustain its support of Ukraine, no matter what the energy shortages are. Uh, we have to find ways around those energy shortages, and uh, they might have to be creative, in fact. Uh, but those energy shortages are going to play a significant role in popular opinion and popular support for this war effort, which up to this point has been very strong, not only throughout Western Europe and the U.S., but obviously in Ukraine as well. More than 150 people, including two Americans, died in a crush of Halloween revelers in South Korea. Daybreak Insider's Karen Chalmers has details on this international tragedy. Ambulances raced to the scene in the Itaewon district of Seoul, where about 100,000 people had gathered to celebrate Halloween. However, what started off as an opportunity for fun soon turned into a nightmare. Scores of people died and hundreds more were injured after a huge crowd was pushed and crushed into a narrow alley. Witness Janelle Story said the turnout was much bigger than expected. This was next level. Shoulder to shoulder. When emergency services finally managed to get through the crowds, it was already too late. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol declared a one-week national mourning period. He called the tragedy devastating. I'm Karen Chamas. Over the weekend, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, was attacked by a man who broke into their home. The Speaker's husband is expected to make a full recovery following successful surgery to repair a skull fracture. While the suspect's motives are still under investigation, the attack has prompted a national conversation about heated political rhetoric 
in the rise in attacks on politicians across the country. RNC Chair Rona McDaniel weighs in and says that there are too many criminals remaining on the streets. If this weren't Paul Pelosi, this criminal would probably be out on the street tomorrow. We saw Lee Zeldin's attacker was on the street right after he attacked him. This is what Democrat policies are bringing. But of course, we wish Paul Pelosi a, a recovery. We don't like this at all. McDaniel says she doesn't agree with Democrats who are taking aim at some GOP members' fiery rhetoric. I think this is a deranged individual. You can't say people saying, let's fire Pelosi or let's uh, take back the House is saying go do violence. Democrat Senator Chris Kuhn says politicians of all stripes need to be more careful with their words. The sort of rhetoric that we've heard in too many ways in too many places can lead to uh, violence by a small number of Americans who think that when we describe our political opponents as our enemies, uh, we're calling for them to be attacked. Trey Gowdy is a former congressman and current Fox News host and details the rise of violence against political figures on both sides of the aisle. We are told Mr. Pelosi will recover, and perhaps he will physically. But can you ever recover, fully recover, knowing someone has so little regard for your life that they would strike you in the head with the intent to kill using a hammer? Bones may mend and bruises may heal, but you don't ever fully recover when you come face to face with depravity. And it's become a recurring theme in American politics. Political violence and threats of violence are increasing. Elected officials have been shot at community meetings and on charity baseball fields. The children and spouses of federal judges have been shot in their homes. Supreme Court justices have been targeted for assassination. Mobs have chanted, hang a vice president. People are accosted at restaurants and in the lobbies of their workplace. And now, an attack on a family member in his home. Gowdy tells Fox News that it will take courage from everyone to tone down heated rhetoric. For the overwhelming majority of us, the only weapons we would ever use in political discourse are the power of persuasion and the right to vote. But there is that small group so detached from reason or reality, so untethered to decency or morality, that they believe themselves justified to use violence. And when we know crazy people are listening, perhaps we should say fewer crazy things. And we should have a plan, a plan beyond simply investigating and prosecuting in the aftermath. We should do more than simply react after something violent and horrific happens. It takes no political courage to defend friends. The question is whether we have the political courage to defend, physically defend, those with whom we disagree. The 82-year-old Pelosi suffered serious injuries to his right arm and hands. The 42-year-old suspect remains in custody. Over the weekend, the Florida Board of Medicine and State Board of Osteopathic Medicine approved a plan to ban puberty blockers as treatments for minors in the Sunshine State. That decision comes after a meeting that was held last week that provoked a heated clash between those who support the ban and those who were against it. 
Today's meeting was an important step as the board is in the process of crafting restrictions for some transgender treatments. It's an issue that's brought strong views on both sides. With outbursts at times, dozens of people attended a workshop at Orlando's Hyatt Regency, Florida's Board of Medicine, hearing from several experts on the approach and treatment of gender dysphoria in young people, many showing up to make their voices heard. Because it's lifelong altering effects for children, I don't think they're emotionally or psychologically uh, capable of making that lifelong decision. And I am suffering from PTSD and ongoing trauma because of my upbringing, because I did not have access to the information and therefore did not have access to the kinds of interventions that could have made the difference for me. The meeting comes as the board is deciding on a ban of some treatments for transgender youth to align with guidance from the Florida Department of Health. The ban would cover things like gender reassignment surgery and puberty blockers. In August, the board opened the process to craft rules around state guidelines Lines. It's something the doctors here have until December to complete. What I hope to happen is that uh, State Surgeon General Joseph Latipo's recommendations are granted by the board. Last week at a campaign event, incumbent gubernatorial candidate Ron DeSantis said that protecting children is close to his heart because he thinks of his own young children. My wife and I are sensitive to it just because we have a 5'4 and 2-year-old at home and you think about raising kids now, I, 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 not that it was ever easy, but when I was growing up, there were just way less things that like, could really be bad in front of kids, it seemed like. Now, you know, parents got to worry about all these different influences, and we just believe that as a parent, you, know, you should have the, the ability to send your kid to school, they should be able to watch cartoons, play with friends, just be kids without having some agenda shoved down their throat. And so we, we signed a bill called uh, Parents' Rights in Education, which said, you know, we are not going to be injecting things like gender ideology into our elementary schools. We're not going to be teaching some six-year-old kid that they may have been born in the wrong body. That's not going to happen. DeSantis says that while he believes that individual parents do have the right to talk to their children about gender. They don't have the right to shove those beliefs down the throats of other parents. We're drawing a very clear line in the sand on that. Uh, they need to focus on, on traditional education, reading, writing, add, subtract, science, all those different things. And parents should have the right to send their kid knowing that that's going to be the focus. Look, I, it not, it's not my cup of tea, but if you're a parent, and you, and you want to talk about gender ideology with your kid, you know, okay, that's fine, but you don't have the right to impose that ideology on the rest of the families. The Florida governor says that his state has faced blowback from the media and corporations. And it is happening in other places around this country. Do never let the media tell you it's not. It absolutely is. Parent, that's why parents are going and they're fighting back because of what you see. But, you know, it shows you how... how quickly things can go. I mean, five years ago even, this idea of gender ideology, like you would assume you get that at like a seminar at Berkeley or something. You wouldn't think you'd get it in kindergarten in a public school, but nevertheless, it's rare. So we, we stood, but here's the thing, that's common sense, and, and people have shown the vast, vast majority of people agree with that, certainly parents. But it was controversial when we were doing it. The left blew a gasket. The media got all upset. 
and we even had big corporations get involved and challenge us in terms of what we were doing. DeSantis goes on to say that he runs the state with the citizens of Florida in mind, not corporations. We run this state based on the best interests of the people of the state of Florida. We do not subcontract out our leadership to woke corporations in California. The Florida Joint Medical Board will finalize that vote this coming week. All eyes in Florida will be on a courtroom this week. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker has more on the trial of the Florida high school shooter, Nicholas Cruz. Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz will be sentenced to life in prison, but not before the families of the 17 people he murdered get the chance to tell him what they think. A two-day hearing begins Tuesday that will conclude with a judge sentencing Cruz for his 2018 massacre at a high school. The families gave highly emotional statements during the trial, but were restricted about what they could tell the jury. Now the grieving and the scarred can speak directly to Cruz and say, whatever they wish. Jason Walker reporting. Andrew Tate, who was largely anonymous until this year, had his profile grow due to the negative attention he received as a result of being an outspoken commentator in the online world known as the Manosphere. The Manosphere is generally believed to be the place where men can safely discuss fitness, career goals, attacks on masculinity, and relationships. Recently, Tate was canceled for comments that some believe to be sexist and misogynistic. Quickly, the 35-year-old Tate was deplatformed from Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. Tate isn't the only person who thinks that there is an attack on masculinity. Victor Davis Hansen, author of the book The Dying Citizen and fellow at the Hoover Institution, joined the Salem Radio Network and said there are two views, the therapeutic and the tragic. Therapeutic view is that all pathologies or disappointments in our collective lives are due to the inability to alter human nature because we didn't have enough interest in you know, ideology or proper training of the mind or conditioning or abusing us of our pre-civilizational devotion to religion. Hansen says American men these days don't measure up to other generations and he blames America's colleges and universities in part. The purpose of education is not to give you the skills to make empirical quest on your own and, and then find whatever political view that you harbor on your own, but it was to be deductive, not inductive. Here is the pre-selected point where we want to get you, and all of our coursework will be viewed and warped and adapted to that. Hansen believes the concept of masculinity is under attack, especially at some universities. If you assault the idea of masculinity for 20, 30 years, as we have been doing in the schools, and you suggest that men are capable always of sexual harassment, sexual assault, white men in particular exercise dualities of privilege, then what you do is you've disconnected an entire demographic from mainstream activity. Twitter's new CEO, Elon Musk, has started cleaning house in the social media enterprise, firing four top executives, including the CEO, CFO, general counsel, and the company's top lawyer. 
Musk has promised to make changes to the social media company after his $44 billion acquisition, including the implementation of what he calls the Content Moderation Council. Alex Caprilio of News Nation says that while Musk has made some firings, there probably won't be too many changes until the newly formed Content Moderation Council meets. One of the first things that, that Elon Musk actually did was fire the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, and the company's top lawyer. As for content, he says there's not going to be any major changes until this content moderation council meets. We are looking to see whether that means reinstatements for some of the most outspoken people in the world, including former President Donald Trump, who's had his account suspended since January 6th. Caprilio says Musk wrote a letter detailing why he purchased the company to Twitter's advertisers. Musk wrote in that letter to them, there's currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right wing and far left wing echo chambers that generate more hate and divide our society. The reason I acquired Twitter is because it's important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. Caprilio says Musk also has his sights set on removing robots or bots already on the platform. Aside from Elon Musk's push for free speech, one of the major hurdles and one of the major concerns that he has is the overprevalence of robots all along uh, Twitter. We're also seeing those really highly rampant in other social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. But particularly for Elon Musk, he wants to see many of those robots be eliminated. And of course, for a lot of uh, the Twitter users out there, that could mean a decline in their followers. So another story that we're monitoring closely when it comes to Twitter's takeover. Across Europe, soaring inflation is behind a wave of protests and strikes that underscores the growing discontent with the spiraling cost of living and threatens to unleash political turmoil. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more. With Liz Truss forced to resign as Britain's prime minister less than two months into the job after her economic plans sparked chaos in financial markets and further bruised an ailing economy, the risk to political leaders became clearer as people demanded action. A risk consultancy says the fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sharply raised the risk of civil unrest in Europe. The war has led to higher energy bills and food prices. The oldest prisoner held at Guantanamo Bay is released and returned to his home country. Daybreak Insider's Mimi Montgomery has details on this story this morning. The foreign ministry in Islamabad and the U.S. Defense Department are confirming that 75-year-old Saifullah Paracha, a Pakistani national, was released and reunited with his family after spending more than 17 years in U.S. custody in Cuba. After being captured in 2003, Paracha was held at Guantanamo on suspicion of ties to al-Qaeda, but was never charged with a crime. The notification of his release does not give a detailed reasoning for the decision, but it concludes that Paracha is not a continuing threat to the United States. I'm Mimi Montgomery. And finally... A new poll has emerged ranking the worst Halloween candies. Many would believe the number one spot belongs to candy corn. 
which earned many articles deriding the confectionery treat, most notably the piece in Deadspin back in 2014 called, quote, candy corn is garbage, end quote. While candy corn remains divisive around many spooktacular homes this Halloween season, consumers just don't seem to be as bothered. According to a survey of 1,000 Americans, only 34% indicated they had some hatred for the candy, while 22%, including this commentator, love candy corn. The remaining respondents were indifferent. According to the History Channel, over 2 billion kernels of candy corn are made every year. At the Bronx factory in Chattanooga, Tennessee, workers produce 2 billion kernels of candy corn every year. We make about 50,000 pounds of candy corn a day. That's about 12.6 million pieces of candy corn. Candy corn was invented in the 1880s, and its tricolor design was considered revolutionary. It was originally made by hand in small batches. But the cooking process is now fully mechanized. This year, candy corn fell to number two on the list of most hated candies. Number one, circus peanuts. The most favored Halloween treat for several years in a row, Reese's peanut butter cups, reigning supreme. <laughs> Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.